When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> it would be a wolf, but eh? I'm no fool. People might yet win it here for Wolves. Flash in the shot. What a goal! Hello everyone, this is a fe- football festive feast, as Rich has named this episode. Stu here, hosting, just for your pleasure, of course. Uh, with me tonight is Ed, um, coming not from a nuclear bunker for a change, he looks quite cosy there. Um, <laughs> and Jafo breaking, breaking short his holiday to come and join us tonight. Or yeah, this afternoon for you. Yeah, yeah, this afternoon for me. <laughs> so we'll, we'll come to you first, Jafo. Before we get into the serious things, how is Christmas in America been from someone who's uh, experienced every other one in this country? I mean, very different. I mean, I did like a Christmas Eve with one side of the family that I was saying that and it was quite normal. And then the second side was very different. So it was like the food was, was incredibly different. You, know, you got mac and cheese and then you got rice, you know, uh, pasta salad. Not your normal affair, but very, very good. And I've got to say, I've had a great time so far. I, I do love it down here in the south. Uh, the hospitality and the people, just, just second to none. And I have a lot of time and a lot of respect for the people who are so kind and make you feel welcome, uh, especially after seeing New York and how abrasive they are. Yeah, it's just to put you are in South Carolina and not Brentford. Um. Yeah, South Carolina. <laughs> It's Portsmouth is they're really really good in Portsmouth. Yeah, that's South Coast hospitality. What about you, Ed? How was your Christmas? Yeah, quiet, not too bad, not too bad. All of... Christmas Eve was fun being at the game, and that was Christmas Eve really. But yeah, not too bad, quiet one. Did you um, fully embrace the Christmas evenings of it and get on the beers at eight in the morning? No, not with an eight-year-old in tow. I can't, I can't be doing yeah. that. I'm, I have to be fully in control for him. So no, excellent work. I mean that that was a, a, a superb story that I mate Josh Len put on Twitter that the moon had to sh- the weather swings had to shut the doors at quarter past ten in the morning because it was full. I mean that's what a, what a country we are as the, uh, as the kids <laughs> say. Before we get on to them two games though, the uh, the news that some people are, are cherishing, some people are a bit sad about. Don Fabio is leaving once again. <laughs> Um, this time to Rangers. <laughs> Thoughts? We not so much of the fact that he was gone because I think after Gary O'Neill's comments last night, fraudulent slip and all that, it was pretty obvious he wasn't going to go since he hasn't played for two months. But you know, back to you, Ed. Thoughts on it? Him leaving and going to Rangers of all places? 
Yeah, I think the the leaving's not a surprise, is it? But maybe the destination is Scottish football, Championship level at best. Maybe he'll get some goals down, you know, up there, and I don't know, help his confidence. Um, Gary O'Neill clearly doesn't rate him. Um, the only thing for me with the deal is we don't have the um, the obligation to buy, do we? I think from what I've read. Mm. So we could be onto a high into nothing, whether he does well or well or not. You know how how much will you get for someone who scores a few goals in Scotland? I don't know. Um, I I mean different. I mean different to him as a player. I mean different to him as the saga that rolls on. I don't think he's had particularly um, enough crack of the whip. But also we've not been in a situation where we've been able to give a teenager minutes either. So I just don't think it's worked out for all parties, has it? No, but uh, I, I mean, that is the one thing about it that is very similar to Joe Gomez. And you look at the performance he put in last night with, again, less games to his name in professional football. And then you got Fabio Silva, who get different parts of the pitch, but still. Jiffo, you're the man of the world. How is Scottish football viewed elsewhere? Other than, I mean, obviously, we've got a pretty low opinion of it, but from a kind of world football point of view, it, it's obviously not at the place it was in the 90s is he I mean yeah I mean outside of Celtic and even Rangers just nobody even pays attention to it I mean it seems that the only place that could even look at Scottish football with any sort of love is that is probably Japan because of the, the contingency that they've got at Celtic but really it, it's just a terrible terrible uh, standard of league and, and the fact that Fabio's having to drop himself to that level is is quite telling uh, I was thinking about it this morning. To be fair, we're trying to understand of, of actually what what Fabio has good about himself, and I think the the main thing that he lacks as a footballer is, is quite an explosive nature. You look at um, talking about Joe Gomez, he can cover yards quite quickly, and and with Fabio, how often have you seen him knock a ball off the man and run onto it, or you know be be a player? For you just haven't. It's something that. Is, if he's not getting it now, he's never going to get it. I do, I do worry about him that he's going to have one of these careers which peters out because he's not got natural physicality or athleticism to, to accommodate what he doesn't have in terms of skills. Yeah. And we we could argue that we, we've seen when he's been for the, with the Portugal under-21s, he looks a class above that. And yet he can never seem to make that jump to Premier League football. Um is the lower reaches of the lower leagues of Europe his destination now? Because you are right, Ed, what you said. He's on a hiding to nothing, isn't he? Because if he does well in Scotland, it's Scotland. And but we'll get a bit of coin back, maybe 15, 20 million. If he doesn't do well in Scotland. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you I don't think he'll fail there. He can't, can he? But if there was other, if there was teams in Germany and Spain linked with him, and he wants to go there, I mean, the fact that they're paying all of his wages is a bonus, I suppose, and a, and a small loan fee apparently reported elsewhere. So, do you see him coming back? I mean, obviously, I don't. But just how much? Say that he, he does do well. How much do you think we're going to get for him? Realistically, I think with his age, we we're looking, you know. 10, 12, maybe 15 at a push. We're not going to get what we paid for him, basically, or anywhere near it, I'd imagine. Uh, 
Yeah, so I think we'll be very lucky to recoup 15. We might be able to get 15 from a team in maybe maybe Rangers or Celtic if they can reach to that. I don't know, but um, at, at best at best we're going to get between 10 to 15. But I don't know where from because I think like Jafo says, I think maybe he's just a little bit too old school. He's an old school number nine. Is it? it just needs chances and there aren't many teams now that can afford to have a a luxury striker. So I think that's his biggest issue. Yeah, he doesn't run off the ball. He doesn't... I mean, we saw like the chances at Everton that he had, the one, the one that was offside, I and mean, then that was the best he, he's ever looked. And it was off, even that was offside. So, yeah, you can say it's unfortunate. But again, he didn't read the line. And you think for us... Yeah, obviously, players can mature later and you hold the, the, the Vardy thing and he was 27 and all that stuff. And he's obviously still a very young man. But, yeah, it's a tough one. I think... More than anything else, what hasn't been confirmed at the time of recording is the fact that got old Sasha's on his way as well, which made me actually quite sad. The look on your face there, Jafar, it was like someone's just run over your cat outside the window. Yeah, to be fair, I, I like Sasha. I just, I just think he's not the right man for this team, um, and it's a, it's an awful situation he found himself when he came here and, and what happened against Southampton and the injury and everything that he's had to go through with moving his life and then having all that trauma. Uh, I thought he might be able to give us something this season, but it's it's been difficult for him because he's not the guy who fits in with what we're trying to do. Um, you, you, you compare him, you can't even compare him, but to say to compare him to what Cunha does for the team, he couldn't do it. It's just not his, his possibility. You know, it's not possible for him. But yeah, I'd be sad to see him go because he's such a likable guy, you know, and around the club, and, and he's a good footballer. You, you can't deny it. He, the goals that he scored, the two goals that he scored this season, he's took them well, and they've been at very crucial games, and they've got those points. So let's say if he does leave, then he goes with my, you know, love and and hopes that, that I hope that he does well in his career because he deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think Ed that? The little um, flare-up at Luton probably didn't do his cause any favours. Yeah, I, I think we've seen with how um, Barry O'Neill's dealt with Johnny that he doesn't sort of suffer fools gladly, does he, with these kinds of acts of dissent or um, breaking the harmony in the group. And that obviously doesn't go down well. I think the writing was on the wall um, when we talk about the Brentford game, the fact that he didn't come on when Cunha looked shot. Mm. So Cunha looked shot after 65 minutes of the Chelsea game and then played nearly all of last night as well. And the fact that at one point in the game yesterday, we needed the ball to stick up front. We didn't bring on our six foot seven striker, <laughs> six foot eight striker probably shows that Gary doesn't really have the faith in him either. And I think Jafo's hit the nail on the head perfectly. I think that he just doesn't fit the current system for Gary O'Neill, who wants this mobile central forward that isn't really a number nine, but isn't also really a false nine. Um, and Sasha obviously can't play that role. And we plan B doesn't seem to be lumping in the box very often. So there's not really a place for him in the squad, unfortunately. But it is sad. It's sad when he came and he, he played well in that first game and then got injured. And we all fell in love with him a little bit more after the documentary. And uh, for him to go now, it's it's one of those ones where it's what could have been, I think, with him. Yeah. But you, you did touch on it there then. I mean, what you just described, not a 9 and not a 10, is Cunha. Um, so if we are looking for this number 9, who's going to have to... Who's 
Well, we don't know. Is there a job there that Sashi can't do? So does he have to be tall and physical and be able to play on the ball? Oh, it's who who are we talking about here? Because I have got no clue whatsoever. I know we were linked with Shay Adams and whatever, and that's a bit underwhelming. But other than that, you think of the players of, that could be available. It's going to be someone random, isn't it? Especially Jiffo and your your spreadsheets of thousands. Um, that's not football manager at all. Um, who? When he's talking about traditional number nine, considering what we have already, and he's saying that we don't have this type of player, pull someone at off the top of your head. Go on, someone from someone obscure that we might know, we might not know, because I've got no idea who he means. Oh, um, I'm thinking the first first name that came to my head is Gerard Moreno. That's it. Um, so somebody who can take chances, gets in between the posts. And he's there to, to is the fox in the box the way that Fabio should be, but somebody who's got that little bit more. So, as, as you, you've seen with what Cunha does, can carry the ball, has a little bit more athleticism, a little bit more physicality. So, Fabio was, was oh so close to being that number nine that he really, really wanted, but he just he just doesn't have the attributes, I'm afraid. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you mentioned it, so we'll, we'll just We'll touch on it quickly because it, it was four days ago at this point. Christmas Eve, the whole farce of it all, and we spoke about it briefly. I mean, I went. I, in the end, I enjoyed it for what it was as a novelty. I'm thankful that it's not happening again next year, but you taking you somewhere you had. And how did you find the build-up? Because it seemed very strange to me, the whole thing. Yeah, it was a bit flat, wasn't it? It was a bit... It felt like people were there out of duty. So um, yeah. we're obviously, we're not season ticket holders. We are Johnny come late. He's come to games we can get to. And uh, it didn't feel like the guys, it's mostly guys around us were that. There was a lot of guys that were obviously season veterans that um, smelt of armpits and, and booze <laughs> as, as you should do at football. Um, but like it was kind of, it was half cocked a little bit. I think, I think it was a little bit like, we're all going through the motions um, to start off with, you know, even they even messed up Hyo Silver Line, didn't they, at the end? And he <laughs> wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for the kickoff. Um, so, you know, that was sort of indicative, I think, of the first, you know, 20 minutes. It felt like we hadn't woken up and it felt like the crowd hadn't woken up and it felt like it was Christmas Day rather than Christmas Eve. We were all just sort of ready to get settling into the mac and cheese. Um and and the turkey and uh, not really there for a, a game of football and yeah it just it seemed flat I don't know if you you thought that Stu when you were there yeah it was I think that you are right a sense of duty more than a sense of wonder <laughs> and it sums it up perfectly I think and um, I mean it, to be fair I mean thankfully for us it looked like Raheem Sterling was hopefully it was Christmas Day as well <laughs> I mean the, the amount of gifts that he was giving us because I'm not going to bash Sterling I like Sterling more than most people do, but he had a stinker, thankfully. And but over all the, the criticism that Dan Bentley had, um, Jose Sar back in and he's pulling off that save, that one on one. And it was it, you spread yourself, you open yourself up to nutmegs and stuff. But I thought it, it was a massively underrated save that no one's talked about. And I, yeah, it was, yeah, mind you, fine. You got the points. And, and that's what you can say. You, what you say about Jose Sarr, he, he always puts his body on the line. He does what he thinks is right. 
he's a modern day goalkeeper and when it comes off he gets what he gets what's required and that's you know he stops goals because and that's the thing with him you look at him he gets his extra points in that first season he was here he got us a plus of 10 points extra he'll do it again this season because he's a good goalkeeper despite his 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 um flaws and his somewhat insanity in certain moments <laughs> he's still a very very good goalkeeper and you you look back now uh, against a Rui Patricio, um, who's a world-class goalkeeper, I said apparently he was at the end of his career. Really, when he was here, uh, even though he's at Roma now, he he's a step up in the way that he wants to play, and it allows us to play and have that eleventh outfield player. And people forget that is is where we were with Rui. We 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 had a, we had a guy who didn't want to come and clutch the ball. Didn't want to punch it. He stayed on his line, you know. He, he and now we got Jose Sarkin flying out. He wants to play. He wants to use his feet. He wants to pass the ball. He's a good, good goalkeeper. Um, and if he does go in January or at the end of the season, it'll be a hard, hard replacement because Dan Bentley ain't that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've said before, I, I'd if if it happened, I'd want Keller, and that is for the similar kind of reason. Um, similar kind of keeper because we saw what we were like with Rui. He was great. He was superb, but you had to play a certain way because he wouldn't play with his feet and he wouldn't come and catch anything. So you had to have a, you had to play deep to counteract that. But there was a couple of times like when he did, he did flap again. Um, I think it looked, it looked more rusty to me than anything else having a week off um, for the injury that he, he came for the one that was cleared off the line or Totti, but then he'd come and claim others that were on the on the penalty spot perfectly well. Um, it was just a, a crazy, but crazy but calm game, wasn't it? Ed? It's it's really hard to describe. Yeah, it was a it was a very strange game because it. I I felt like if Chelsea were any good, we would have been blown out of the water in that first sort of fifteen twenty minutes, um, when the Chelsea fans were swinging their hats around. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, it was a strange game. I think Jose Sarr epitomised it, didn't he? Because he looked competent whilst also every now and again giving you a heart-in-the-mouth moment. And that's what it felt like the whole game was. A little bit of neither of these teams really want to be there. Um, and it was who's going to take their chances. It's what it felt like on the day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And sort of chances taken. We've got the man of the moment again. Mario Lamina, I mean, I thought without his goal, I thought he was absolutely incredible. And he's gone from cult status. And when we've got the, the graphic there for audio people, shots three, goals one, tackle six, interceptions four, clearances two. He's gone from cult hero to borderline legend in a year. Is, that, is it fair to say? Or is that a bit too early? A little early, I think. But <laughs> I think. I don't know whether it was said in a WhatsApp group or on Twitter, but you put Mario Lamina in that um, 2018-19 side mm -hmm. instead of Romain Saiz. We, we might have uh, done a little bit more. We might have done a little bit more. We might have gone further in competitions because he is a baller and he's a warrior. He's, he gives everything on that football pitch and he does it in style as well. And, and, and 
the Chelsea game really epitomised it. The way he used his body and strength to come away with the ball in situations, turn him, he made it look easy. It was the best best game he's probably played in a wall shirt at Chelsea. And he didn't do too bad against Brentford either. Um, but the Chelsea game, a class of real warrior's instinct, led on the pitch. He was a true leader without that armband. He don't need it. He would, You don't need to put anything on him to get him to want to play for you. He's a fantastic footballer. Definite cult hero status and the price as well. The price tag we got him for when we got him just all adds to it. I think it's the fact that we managed to get him for next to nothing. Um, and as I think Jafo's just set it up perfectly there. He's he's the heartbeat of the team, but he's also sort of everything, everything in between as well. You know, he's got the brains as well. He's not just tough tackling. He's not just sort of an old-fashioned defensive midfielder that puts his footing where other people don't want to. He He... He spreads the play. He he moves it really easy, and um, he always wants the ball, and he's never shied away. Never shied away. Yeah, I think his passing is something that I mean, I, I think I underrated a bit as well when he, when he came in because you think of him what he was like at Southampton and Fulham, and he, he was just a bit of a a battering ram and a, a kind of get the ball back, knock it to someone more competent than you, kind of mid- midfielder and. He's not that at all. He can do it all. I mean, maybe, maybe if loads of fellas said, I mean, we the story was there when we signed him a year ago, wasn't it? That we'd tracked him for four years. If we'd got him four years ago, would he have been this good? Probably not, because I'd never seen him like this before, and he's probably in the form of his life. So, I mean, whereas Jose sort of epitomised that game, I think saying Mario Lamina was the, the, the standout player against Chelsea at home is something of. <laughs> So dreams are made of it. It's some kind of fever dream, if that. That you, you go back a couple of years, no one in a million years would have thought this. Um, but the man next to him, obviously, we'll talk about him in the Brentford game. But I think Joe Gomez was him. His ability to just sit there and let them even do it, I think, he's massively underrated as well. And it's maybe last night was the first time he's actually got praise for it. But I thought against Chelsea, he was very good as well. Yeah, he was. He was. He was busy without sort of being reckless or headless chicken. I mm. think is the. It's an unkind phrase, but at times he can sort of take that bulldog mentality that we've kind of attributed him to his heart. I think, and he will harry around when he doesn't need to. But as the week, the weeks go on, he seems to be a little bit smarter about when he goes and when he doesn't. And um, in this new system, he's sitting a little bit more to allow Lamina to to do like he did against Chelsea, to do like he did against Spurs earlier on. And obviously last night as well, it's sort of, it just, it seems to be able to bring the best out of both of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right, mate, to be honest. I think the key word is discipline with him. And I think that's the more he plays in the Premier League, the more he plays around experienced players, because you remember this kid, this kid barely played anything really in, in terms of years in Brazil. And now he's coming and playing in Premier League games. He's he's going to learn, and that, as soon as he, he gets that discipline and, and like you just said, he gets he combines that with his nature of being tenacious and wanting to get the ball and wanting to be that guy who stops everything, stop, 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 stop. And you see the difference between where he is in terms of tackles and everyone else on that pitch last night. It's incredible. He is going to be a wonderful footballer if he keeps up this development because. To have what he has at this age, 
from for a, for a def defensive midfielder, you don't see it very often, and it's it's wonderful that he plays in our goal because he's a he's a little gem, and uh, that diamond in the rough is starting to shine. Yeah, and I think you touched on it there how how much he loves it, and I don't know if it, it came across on the broadcast because I ain't seen it back yet, but he he physically punched the air after one of the tackles on Christmas Eve. It was I've never seen that before. You see it from like, keepers with penalty saves and stuff like that. But for for, some, for a midfielder making a tackle and then cheering like he scored a goal, I thought it, it was just wonderful to see. And the fact that they're so, both of them are so committed to the, the cause, it's just, oh, you just love to see it after the shit that we've had for the last three years. It's just wonderful. Yeah. But talking about shit from the last three years, Matt Doherty came on. <laughs> no, harsh, harsh. Um, but when it, when he came on and it, he, he was like, well, is he just putting him on for the sake of it because of his height and because we, we might need a bit of an eight ball with, with dead legs and stuff. But to play him in midfield and for him to, to pop up there again, <laughs> like he has so many times on Palace away for us about three, four years ago, that finish was sublime, wasn't it? Yeah, it's the it's a finish that, you know, you'd expect from a, a top of the league top of the range striker you really would the way he opened his body up I don't think it's been spoken about maybe because it's on Christmas Eve and it got buried uh in and amongst all the stories but yeah it's a it's a wonderful finishing I was in the north bank and we we're right behind it and he just you saw him open his body up and it's just like well that's in that's in and he's managed to find the gap and it's just that it's a it's an absolutely wonderful finish from someone who's supposed to be a right back yeah That'll be why Fabio's off to Rangers. <laughs> and just leaving. You've got Doherty back. He's going to take the number nine from January. But yeah, well, no, with all semantics aside, it's a good finish. It's a, it's a really good goal. When you, you say that, but Matt Doherty is an, a, an emergency striker. He's clearly better than Fabio Silva in the Premier League. And he's, you just, you've just summed it up. His composure in front of goal. But yeah, he's older, a lot older. But regardless of being a right back at all, like, he has stepped up a lot of times for us in that in that position to slot home. And it's he's got a knack of doing it. I mean, compare it to Samedo, who's got what two goals in three years or something like that. I mean, so there's another reason for people to hate him, obviously. But yeah, um, I thought he was great as well. And I, I thought before we get on to Brentford, when you when you look at We'll come on to Everton later. Um, there was a stat that Mikey Burrow said in, the, in their show on the um, on the official club podcast that in that second half against Chelsea, we had 48 completed passes <laughs> in the second half. Yeah, it felt like it, didn't it? Compared to Chelsea's 300-odd. But did you ever feel like they were going to do anything with it? Because I didn't. No. No, they were they were they were awful. Other than Sterling sort of making himself a nuisance on the left, they were well. The, I mean, they jeered Jackson being taken off themselves, didn't they? <laughs> there was there was nothing up front. Um, the defence looked. Thiago Silva looked his age in that game, and the midfield. Conor Gallagher is just someone who runs around a lot, and I couldn't tell you who else played in midfield. They had a number sixteen, who I think is a relatively new signing. Um, that just yeah that there was no, you couldn't believe and I kept saying this to my little boy to Jacob you couldn't believe that a billion pounds had been spent on that squad <laughs> yeah yeah you really couldn't I, I really wanted to think of a chance that a billion pounds and you're losing to us 
we needed something like that to be thrown around because it was it was it was crazy how bad they were considering the investment they've got. Well, yeah. and it, it shows that just throwing money at it doesn't work, as well as we know from the nineties. Um, but you thought you mentioned Nicholas Jackson now. I mean, I, I was trying to rack my brain thinking, have I seen a worst striking performance like that? And and I did mention uh, Ricky Otto. Um, but it's on a par with that because it was atrocious, wasn't it? I mean, the, the couple that he had that were almost sitters, that I mean, the one especially where he just fell over. You're thinking he he, he was one of the a make a wish <laughs> participant or something like that because, again, you talk about the money. I think that that's what comes back to January as well. It doesn't matter. We might have twenty million to spend, maybe. We don't have to spend it as we've seen with Lamina. Like, we, like we've all just said, what nine million quid? Best player on the pitch. It, people are out there. I mean, in the comments, someone someone mentioned Antonio as being the ideal fit, and he put that's probably a good shout. But at his age, we're going to be paying a 10, 11, 12 million, something like that at, at best. I'd rather wait to the summer, to be honest. Um, yeah. But before we get on to Brentford, I think when I find the buttons, um, We'll just have a quick break for adverts or seven seconds for people. Feel like you 32 people watching live. Um, so we'll be back in a sec and we'll talk about Brentford, preview Everton and some other stuff. See you in a bit. Welcome back. Jafo, did you have this game dead as normal last night? Yeah, I was... Um... I'm always a bit cautious when it comes to Brentford because they seem to be a bit of a bogey team for us. And Thomas Frank is is always quite. He's, the the word that I would pick for a Thomas Frank side when it comes to Wolves is organised. Mm-hmm. And ironically, you know, we'll talk about it in a minute, but that's what they were. And uh, to be fair, I, I, I've never asked the other half for a um, score prediction last night, but she said four nil, and by God, she was. <laughs> and, and I was like, I looked at her. And I went, "You don't know wolves." And it was like, by the end of the night, like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've never watched the wolves. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, that's their biggest ever defeat at home in the Premier League, and and we inflicted it on us on them after 14. Was it 14 games? Um, obviously, you didn't see the the uh, Amazon Prime broadcast here, Jafar, but we had Manish um, presenting it. And he said to Gary O'Neill before, and a guy, was it a guy from Beckham who can't be in charge of a team that loses 14 times in London or something like that before end. And obviously he wasn't in charge for that long, but to have a losing streak going back that far is pretty ridiculous, even for us. Um, especially considering we do, used to do okay um, down there under Nuno, but <laughs> you are right. And, and the, the fact that we had the whole thing with David Raya and the glove at Molyneux a few years ago and all that kind of stuff, there's always been a bit of nonsense between us. Um, what did you think before the game, Jafo? And then uh, uh, Ed, and then obviously Santi starting as well in place of the uh, the Crocs Craig Dawson. Before the game, I was genuinely relatively confident. I thought that if when you look at Brentford and you take away the players that weren't in that team yesterday for them, so Tony, Brian and Buemo, Rico Henry, um, they had that player that just came back. They looked decidedly championship and I thought that 
that plus the fact that we'd played only two days before and they'd had that 10 day um, rest or rust, depending on what you believe in. Um, I thought it was going to be quite a um, an even match, but I was relatively confident. I was thinking it was going to be one one nil maybe, and I, I just didn't see them being a threat up front. Um, Santi came in, and I think just to touch on him, I think he was absolutely solid. I don't think he did anything exceptional, but I also don't think he did anything wrong. I know the ball went over his head for the um, for the goal, but what's he supposed to do? Sometimes you just have good interchange play. I don't know what else he could have done in that situation. And I think there's a few murmurs that, you know, he could have been better or Santi's not the one. He was perfectly serviceable against Chelsea and perfectly serviceable last night. I just don't think we need to overanalyze a centre-back sometimes. He's there to do what he did yesterday, which is block shots, get in the way and move the ball on. You know, that's all we ask of Toti. That's all we ask of Dawson. And we've got the futsal legend to spray the ball out if we need to. So he was perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Nothing to write home about either way. I think out of the three at the back, I think Totti had a bit more of a try night. I mean, the amount of times they went down the outside of him and he got turned and, and the, when, when, when they... Uh, he got done for that free kick on the edge of the box as well, which was just a bit of naivety. And you think, well, okay, no one's saying anything about Totti because he's obviously Totti and he's cool. Um, but Santi Bueno seems to be, oh, we have to have, we, we win 4 1 away for the first time in ages. We have to have something, someone to hate, someone has to get it. And obviously, because Samedo played really well as well in the first half, especially. And I think, no, we can't give it Samedo because we look like idiots this week. But there's always someone, isn't there? And again, I, I don't understand. And Obviously, I was there at Ipswich um, when he was absolutely atrocious. Um, but so was everyone else. So, um, and other than Bentley, everyone's redeemed themselves. And they've obviously shown that that was a blip. He hasn't, unfortunately. But what did you think about Tichafel? Bueno, obviously, because he's come in with this bit of a reputation. And Price has mentioned it on Twitter that he should, he's kicking himself for obviously leaving. Um, at the time, the, the leaders of La Liga and he's sitting on the bench for us and he's, he is in a different country and it's a different language and all that kind of stuff. And I know Gully mentioned it as well, that it's hard to integrate as quickly as he has, getting up to speed when he hasn't really played much football either. But to come in and, like I said, the, the performance against Chelsea when he was required, cold off the bench as well, and then to come in yesterday, I thought he was great. Yeah, less than 200 minutes in a, in a top five in the world. You know, uh, replacing probably one of the most experienced defenders in the league who comes at a 7 out of 10 level every week. I have no interest in going out at all. And I don't, people who are complaining about the goal, either never played any football or are just complete moron, to be honest, because <laughs> the pass was incredible. And the finish to take it as early as he did, equal, he's probably Brentford's best player, to be honest. And goal was a fantastic goal. Um, I'm literally no complaints about Santa because, as you just said, he's a new league. You know, he's under pressure to adapt to it quickly. He's to get to use physicality because that's the one thing that I always in the league is everyone has to get everyone has to get stronger. Mm-hmm. And with any player, very rarely does. Um, a player coming in and hit the ground running. He was the only one, is Erling Haaland, who was an absolute demon of a, of a monster. <laughs> was, 
there's there's nobody in that league probably as strong or as uh, you know fast when they're running with the ball at full pelt. <laughs> so give the guy a little bit of due. He's barely played any minutes, and he's he pulled out against. A, I know they're not performing as well as they should be, but against a side like Chelsea and a very, very good, very, very good footballer, and against Brentford as well. Um, in Stephen, Stephen Kunku, Chris Kunku, who scored for them, he's a very, very good footballer, and you see yeah. he played against Chelsea today, and Jan Bissler as well. He's playing against top, top players in this league, and he's going to only grow, and he just needs time and support, and people just need to get off the back and just get a reality check to be honest yeah very well said and I mean, we'll, we'll talk on to about other centre-back performances in our game shortly but I mean what we didn't mention about Super Mario Lamina in his career he scored 12 goals in 322 games he's now got four in his last nine for Wolves and that header again where's this come from like we said earlier, that he's in his in the form of his life, but you I can't remember a time where you've seen someone just develop a new skill and then be excellent at it from the off. Yeah, I, th- I think you try and argue that football's not FIFA, the computer game, and Defoe was right there to say that you can't just plug and play from you know you sign someone from nowhere and just because they're seventy-seven rated on FIFA, they'll be perfectly fine um, in real life. But it is like we've had a power up with Mario Lamina, and it's from his neck. I don't, I don't quite know where we've got it from. Um, but uh, I'm not complaining. Uh, we, you have players that go through these, you know, these rich veins of form, or just he's maybe allowed to be a little bit freer in this system. Maybe he's not being asked to be sort of the destroyer anymore, and maybe he's always had this skill, but he's never been. You know, you know, like when um, Tony Pulis found out that Rory Delap could throw the ball <laughs> yeah, 90 yeah. yards without trying. And he go, oh, we'll, we'll just use that now. Maybe Mario Lamina has always been a bit of a fox in the box and he's never been given the chance. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. But Rory Delap, actually, it's always been there. You just never know. Um, we're talking about excellent footballers like Nkunku. Um As Matt Bradley said, Sarabia deserves a bit of love for the assist. Best, most talented footballer in the squad, obviously, Pablo Sarabia. <laughs> now he's got a bit of fitness. I mean, this is not just to wind Dan up because he, he knows he's wrong here. Um, he might have been right about someone else, but not about Pablo. Um, I thought he's been superb, deputising for Neto, especially the last couple of weeks, where he seems to have found a bit of fitness about him. Yeah, he's still really, really lightweight um, for, to be playing in this league, but you can't defend that ball, can you? That's that corridor of uncertainty, as people love to say, it was brilliant. Um, he's growing, um, it's difficult, and he, he, I, I think he's still very much a horses for courses footballer. Um, and he's one where I think he will do better in games where we dominate than ones where we have to be on the back foot. I think we see more from him in those games, but. As you say, deputising Finetto, he's, he's, you can't fault him. He's, he's got assists and he's been in crucial in, in build-up play. So it's it's good that he's he's coming and he's learnt. And you know, you got to remember he's only been here less than twelve months. You know, he's coming up on his one-year anniversary as being part of the club in in, in January. So 
you've got to be realistic with these things. And he's one who's played. He didn't have to be the fittest. He didn't have to be the strongest of history. Who, who does? Because you've got Neymar, well, Neymar and him when he was there and Mbappe and all these other footballers who do the work for you. So why why do you need to push yourself? And now you've come to a, a team who've, you know, were fighting to stay in the league at the start of the season and the back end of last season. Um, he's got to push. He's got to be fitter. He's got to be stronger. He's got to be more on it. And if he is doing it, and it looks like he is, and he's putting the work in, then good on him because he'll he'll prove people wrong, and he'll use the football and ability that he has got in his head to do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think he's he's a little slow on the release of the ball. Um, I embarrassed my son by shouting very loudly at one point when we had a break on, and he decided to do a a four or five <laughs> point turn when he didn't need to to just release the ball. Um, thankfully, I didn't swear and get would have got told off even more. But um, I, I think that will come. He's come from a league where, with all due respect, he probably only plays two or three games in the league a year that he'll need to worry about. And he's come to a league now where we've seen teams like ourselves beating Man City, you know, Aston Villa beating Man City and, and Everton last night, giving them a good, heart, uh, you know, a good run for their money to start off with. We have teams that can beat any team and they're always up for it in this league. And that's going to be a mentality change for, for players like Sarabia, who are used to being luxury players that are used to being able to take two or three touches when you can't in the Premier League. And it will come. And that assist is, again, when he doesn't have any time to think about it, he just it's just on his left foot and he just whips it in. And it's a beautiful ball that it, it couldn't have been t- taken by the keeper. It's perfectly placed. Very well said. Um, but being a being an away game and being in London, <laughs> who else thought this is going to be back to the wall now? We're going to we're going to ride the ride the title away for about 10, 15 minutes, just suck up a bit of pressure, and then wait for them to tie themselves out and then hit them again. Um, because that's what that's what I thought. But someone else had other ideas, didn't they? Good old Nathan Collins. God bless. Him. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> We all knew that he had this kind of weirdness in him. Um, and that's kind of why he was sold as well. Uh, so that we made a bit, of, a bit of money on him with the mistakes that he, he put in. And his Kung Fu kick against Grealish aside, he really... You think, well, yeah, he's still relatively young. He's got to get this stuff out of his system. But he had, it looked like he had to me. I can't remember too many of these kind of incidents. But the fact that, we, <laughs> that literally... 60 seconds later, and he's playing that pass. Oh, 80 seconds later, he's playing that pass back to the keeper. With again, fair play to Quang for anticipating it, but what is he doing, Jafar? What is he doing? I, 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 I can't put it into words, to be honest, but I mean, there's a certain amount of pressure that comes with it. He's playing against his old club where he, you know, he'd not performed. And I, I, I assume, I feel like he'd just come back from injury or he hadn't been playing because Ben Mee was in the side and he was suspended last night. So, you know, he's got like a little bit of rust and he, say, it's probably a lot of pressure on him to try and perform after the Leaving Wolves and not really been it last season. Um, but the, the first one, 
is it that? Yeah, it's worse. It's worse than the second one. But the first yes. one is just horrendous. And it, it reminds me a little bit of um, Quang's goal against Arsenal from last season, where he yeah, was yeah. on his toes, he anticipated it and, and took it well. But yeah, you know, for all that Collins did wrong, Chani had a lot to do and well done. Quang for being one who, who took last season and his faults and his foibles and really running it with it this year. So... I'm enjoying the rebirth of Huang. <laughs> the Huang rebirth. We know that's not going to be the title now. Um, but there's someone put a thing. There was another infographic about Huang on on, on Twitter earlier, as there is every week, um, just about how many goals he's got now compared to his, his previous two seasons, and it, it's just insane. This is his numbers altogether. Um, he look he looks like it's almost akin to what Raul was when he came here me where no one really expected anything of him his numbers weren't great and he's came in and he's a different player altogether and that's what Huang seems to be he looks like he doesn't even look like the player that we thought he'd be when he signed he's something else altogether this season yeah he's, he's basically playing that center forward role when Cunha goes on his merry little dances Huang just sort of stays around in the in the middle of the park and stays in between those posts and makes himself a nuisance. And he he's a player that you kind of, I feel like I don't want him to have the ball that much. Don't give him any time to think. Don't really involve him in the build-up because we've seen he can be a bit lapsed with clearances and things. You don't really want him going backwards. Just keep him up there and and he just, he knows how to finish. I mean, both, both of his goals were top class for different reasons. The first goal was a poacher sort of, getting on the back of a, of a um, mistake and the next goal is just a wonderful bit of skill that he looked so comfortable. Yeah. Before we get to that, 103 seconds later after the, after the first goal. Um, you mentioned it earlier, Ed. Uh, people mentioned only got Santi for it. I thought it was just a, a class, class finish. I don't think yeah, he could have done anything, move. anything with that whatsoever. Um, <laughs> prime, prime video timed it at 42 seconds of ball in play time for them three goals, which has got to be some kind of mental record. Um, I can't remember three goals going in, in that quicker time. It, it was three minutes in real time, but even that is a bit silly. Uh, I don't know about you, Jafar, that it's, it seems like, even for how mental that game was, I didn't expect that at all. No, I mean, didn't it... Thing I can think of it being similar to is when I think it was Brighton, where we considered two goals in like a minute at home a couple of seasons ago. It just doesn't happen. You, you don't get moments like this in football games, but the fact that it, it happened with Wolves and it happened in a positive way, the stars have aligned and it's a Christmas miracle. But <laughs> it's it's good. It's you know, we I think that the work that um, Gary Gary O'Neill's doing it. You know, it shouldn't be underestimated, and and to have uh, an away win. Um, you know, it, traditionally, you know, we struggled with away away games a little bit more than at Molyneux. To have that come after the the Chelsea game and to us to get our first back to back wins of the season is is, is a, amazing at this point in the season with so many games so close together. Yeah, and I think for for us to not completely capitulate as well. After after going two up and then being pegged back pretty much straight away, we've seen that so many times where 
my Brighton at home, for instance, to start of the season, where three goals in in quick succession and just killed killed the game off. You think, well, how is the team that we we put out last night? The mental the mental strength then compared to what we had earlier in the season already is it's superb. And if I had our, our good old friend Calamity Collins again, <laughs> who up, upfield and then Emily's good pal playing playing Quang on side, but you mentioned it. <laughs> There's almost no words. It's almost, I mean, it reminded me of Gaza Euro 96 against Scotland um, for how he took it down. Just just superb, isn't he? Yeah, it's, it, it's the calmness of it all. Um, the finish against Burnley was that calm as well, wasn't it? Where he just waits and picks his spot. Like He does the hard bit. He flicks over the defender's head. A, like that's nothing. And then he doesn't then just lash at it. You know, he doesn't just, he never once looks at the goal. He knows where the goal is. He has a sense of where the keeper is. He just keeps his eye on the ball and he just pops it in, but only when he's ready. You know, he's waiting until he's ready, ready to do it. It's it's crazy. It's it's crazy the calmness that man seems to have in front of goal, um, considering where we were with him. Like he talked about the, the redemption arc with him is real. But then if... Go on, Jeff. Uh, no, all, all I was going to say is... is um, you. I watched it on I was on Peacock. I watched it, and and the commentator said a similar sort of thing. He took that goal like a guy who's been in goal scoring form, and you see it. And I think that that comes with it, and that calmness comes with scoring goals, and that's what he needed. He needed that little bit of confidence in himself and to push himself to achieve what he, he can because he's a good footballer and. And to do to what he's doing and to score goals in the manner that he's scoring them, it's nice because it's something that we as a club have missed for a, a long period of time, you know, ever since the the Raul incident against Arsenal. We haven't had that. So it's to have that now and to have goals and assists through a team is good. You know, it, it shouldn't be underestimated. But of course, this being Wolves, he then gets clattered <laughs> and you think, oh, his back's broken. He's... He's now going to be disabled for life. Um, thankfully, it, apparently it was just a back spasm and he didn't look too uncomfortable sitting in the stand in the second half. Um, but you do kind of fear the worst. After you, what you just mentioned, you fell with the Raul thing. You do kind of fear the worst. And when we had it with, with Neto, who's trying to come on later on. But didn't. Um, but B-Wolves, we can't have nice things. And I don't know about you. And obviously, we're going to miss him in January anyway. But... Thankfully, thankfully he was back up and sitting because I did think he was a little bit of play acting at first. I don't know about you, Ed, but because he is known for it as well. Well, that's what I thought. I just thought it was a lie that had gone on too long. <laughs> he was on the floor. He was on the floor trying to stop the game. And then the game carried on. And then the game carried on. And he's gone, I'm too deep into this now. This needs to be serious enough to take me off because I can't just get up and walk now. It's, you know, it's almost 10 o'clock at night. And we haven't finished the first half yet, so I, I I genuinely thought that it was it was sort of a play acting that then yeah when he got too far deep in like like some kind of sitcom where the the husband lies to his wife and then it spirals into uh, oh crap <laughs> this is what the whole episode is going to be about this is a Lee Max sketch or something so it, it I, I, I I that's what I felt I think it'd be perfectly fine for Everton yeah hopefully we get fingers crossed. Um... Obviously, we're coming half time, and we think, you know, yep, yeah, this is obviously not job done because this is Wolves. And I kind of expected that 
out of the blocks attack from Brentford. Um, what I didn't expect, though, was that defensive masterclass you felt because I know people have moaned, people have said, oh, his back's to the wall and he just oofing the ball away. But the shape, um, the commitment to the, the block and the tackle, a bit over the top in Kilman's case <laughs> for that one. Um, but have we looked as good defensively as we did in that second half all season? Because I can't think we have. No, I can't think of any games off the top of my head. And it's, I think I used the word earlier, and I'll, I'll use it again, discipline. And I think you see it now with what Gary O'Neill wants to do and, and the way that he's coaching the sides, that he wants them to be disciplined and he wants them to be to be calm and relaxed in these key moments to, to not give up chances. And I think you, you said it then quite well, that we didn't really give up any chances. And... If you look back on that second half, is how many clear goal-scoring opportunities did Brentford have? They just didn't, and that's epitomised everything. Everything good that like Mario Lamina, Joao Gomez, Toti, Santi Bueno, Santi Bueno, Santi fucking Bueno, <laughs> uh, and uh, just for those people who don't like him, and uh, Max Kilman, you know, did well, and and the fullbacks who were involved as well. Um, it, it, it tantamount to everything that they've done well this season and the fact that they can have injuries and people come in and we still be that solid and we could still dig out because that first 15, 20 minutes of that second half, previous Wolves sides would have capitulated. Nuno's last season, um, one Bruno Large's sides, you know, even Lopetegui's sides definitely would have capitulated and we would have lost that game in the second, in that first 20 minutes of the second half. We would have done. So, what Gary's doing and the ethos that he's he's bringing and the slight changes in difference to what we've seen since we've been back in the Premier League is quite refreshing because we are a different side and we are stronger and more resilient than ever. Yeah. And I think, well, I mentioned the that Brighton game. We've seen it in, in this team itself, the mental uh, improvements and things like that. And there was a comment on Twitter from uh, Davey, at Davy Hopp is it time Stu finally takes back the dictator comment from the start of the season about Gary O'Neill? No. Because my point was that he he was trying to drill them into something they couldn't do, which now he has changed and admitted that some of them can't do. And we've already said that we were harsh on him. <laughs> well, I particularly was. And me. But again, when we... When you see a, a, a fall-off like that straight away with a new manager, you think he, he very rarely turns around. We saw last night for well, for me in particular, the first time where they got it, they understood exactly what he wanted them to do. And yeah, we, we've had wins and we've had things like the Spurs game and the mentalness of all that stuff and the last minute winners. That performance yesterday was the first Gary O'Neill type performance for me. That I thought, yeah, every single member of that squad got it, even when Doherty came on for Samado and Hugo Bueno came on, uh, Frank Nuri again. Like under you know where players just came in and started into the shape and it worked. I thought he was superb last night. Yeah, I think it was a it was a doggy performance, wasn't it? Brentford had to come out at, in the at the start of the second half. That was their time to sort of huff and puff, wasn't it? And yeah, maybe the Man City game is probably the only time we were maybe as resolute as that. Other than Keen Lewis Potter down the left. At times, especially when Doherty came on, um, you know, he had a little bit of joy. But I can only think of that one dangerous cross where sort of Kilman did enough to 
to knock it out the six yard box, but I think Jafo was right there, didn't didn't really create anything of any note and it was it definitely plug and play. Whoever came in knew the assignment. Yeah. And so about knowing the assignment assignment. One person knew the assignment again, didn't they? <laughs> I mean it's it's beyond belief. I mean we kind of we've we've had a go at Jean Ritten a better guard on here a few weeks ago. Um and for the last few weeks really, because he hasn't he looked promising before his suspension. Um uh, that was one game, four and a half games. But I thought the composure last night from the uh Battle Guardian of the Galaxy was superb. I know it was he say hard to miss. Would Fabio have scored that Jafo? He, he, well, let's, I, I'm not going to bash Fabio anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like it's like it's like taking candy from a baby or beating a dead horse. It's just not it's not fun. Um, but the finish, fantastic! It's the first time slid it in the bottom corner. It was confidence, and it, for, for a player who really hasn't been playing that well for Wolves since the Lockyer incident against Luton, he looked a lot more composed, a lot better. And I think we've mentioned it a few times during this episode. I think it's about being patient with these players. Mm-hmm. You know, he's one who's come from the same league as Sarabia. Um, in, in, you know, in, in essentially a farmer's league. And he's now got to be this better player. And he's got to play with better standards of player and against better standards of players every week. And the fact that he's improving and we saw a little bit more of what we expected from Bellegarde yesterday in the way that he wants to play is refreshing because that's what we need. We we need him to be amongst the goals and assists. And that's what I want to see from him going forward is now consistency. And that's the key word for, for Bellegarde and his future now at the club is to be consistent in goal scoring, you know, actions. So goals, assists or being involved in build-up. And that's what he needs to do. But the goal last night, fantastic. Well done. Yeah. And I think we need to talk about composure as well there. I mean, minute, minutes earlier, we had the the cooling chance that just hit the hit the post. If, if that had gone in, it could have still bought him one, and it, it Colin could have still done that. It could have been five, but it's one of them. And I think he's—I didn't realize Belgard was that quick. It's like because he's built like the way he is, you don't kind of expect it from him because he's quite squatting and he's quite um, compact. But yeah, fair play to him. He looked. Again, he looked like someone who knew what they were supposed to be doing, and they've took everything on board. As did Tommy Doyle. Again, he never, get, he never gets mentioned ever, but I thought he, that was probably his better performance so far. That he, he... Yeah, th- was it? Um, oh, he had one good game, didn't he? When he came on at, at half time, I can't remember who that was against. Was that um, when he played really well? But again, he's a tidy footballer that will grow into this league and will grow into this team. And he's a snip at four million, isn't he? That's a brilliant squad player for the price we're going to pay for him uh, is exactly what we need. He's slightly different to Lamina and Gomez. He's slightly more forward thinking in terms of his passing. His, his passing range is slightly better, but not maybe as physical. Um, yeah, and I think uh, Bellegarde's finish is what Sterling couldn't do at the weekend, isn't it? I think that's the difference, isn't it? And it's yeah. it's that confidence to, and the ability to take the chance and Goals, I mean, we've seen what it's done for Huang. Goals completely change players' careers, don't they? So let's hope he kicks on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, I'm guessing that Jafel's going to go for Santi because just for just for the lols. But, and I know you mentioned it earlier, Ed, 
But for me, there was only one man in the match in that game. And I know, I know Julie gave him a six for some reason, but the the heart of the bulldog himself, Joe Gomez, was immense. And I I wish that, that his heat map was in here, but you can go and find that on Twitter or X or whatever. It it looked like a, a, a cheese pizza, how much... How much Grady covered because he was absolutely everywhere. And like you said earlier against Chelsea, he's not a headless chicken. He puts in the tackles. He knows where to be. He's a pain in the arse. And he's great at it. Yeah. And he loves it as well, doesn't he? Yeah. He absolutely loves it. He doesn't necessarily want the limelight for scoring goals or goal line clearances. He just wants to be a tidy footballer that wins the ball and gives it to the better players. He's a he's perfect foil for any kind of midfielder that you could want. You know, imagine him next to Neves and allowing Neves to spray the ball around a bit more, you know, if we wanted to go that way with a different centre midfielder. But he, him and Lamina just dovetail brilliantly. And last night was definitely his best performance. Absolutely. Beautiful. But the only other one, Chani. Just extra love for Chani as always continue the rebirth i know it's going to be impossible to keep that sort of form up but if he keeps adding goals then we won't need to spend money on a striker so go on lad keep going is it 10 10 goals in 11 shots on target or something mental like that yep. yeah it's insane is it, it, it you got it exactly right yeah 10 in 11 but it's it, to keep that up and to keep to, to do that is it's, it's an impossibility will stop at some point but to have what what is now essentially um, a guy who knows when to shoot and shoots at the right point in the right time is what he needed. He he needed he needed a little bit of coaching, a little bit of teaching him how to be a little bit calmer because he originally you know when after he uh, got injured when he first came here and came back, he just looked like a club footed lunatic who just couldn't control the football and just just running around a pitch all all game. Didn't know what he was doing, but now he looks like he's been coached. And you know, the guys who, who are there, you know, Gary O'Neill and, and Sean Derry, they, they must be doing a good job with him because you, we're seeing these players improve, and we're seeing these players go up to a new level. Not not everyone, but the players who 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 could do it and who needed to do it have done it, and and these players are pushing themselves every week to improve and get better, and that's what football management and coaching should be about and these these guys who are here now it's a it's a refreshing place to be and it's a refreshing situation to be in. yeah very well said i think you look when you look at the incident where where Juan couldn't control the ball and everyone was laughing at him and that's not even that long ago and yet well we've mentioned on on previous episodes where the difference is could we put down to the fact that he can speak English now and he's integrated in the squad and everyone loves him? You mix that with good coaching that Lopetegui didn't want to do. Yeah. And I, I, I was probably that man's biggest fan on here. And for every week that goes by, his comments about the squad make him look like a moron. So there's a reason, well... So there's a reason he still hasn't got a job. It's he's doing it to himself, isn't he? But we don't need to talk about him. Gully's not here, so we can't wind him up. The big question, though, the appearance of my lord himself on Saturday. 
<laughs> and to to get back to back wins for the first time this season, I didn't expect. I mean, I, we we still we're on course for what I kind of predicted. Um, but we have had we had had mentions of him, his lordship in here, uh, from the milkman here for the audio people. Stu must say you were right about Deutsch. Top manager would have done well here. Of course he would. Um, he's doing a brilliant job, <laughs> and I, I know it turned into a bit of a farce with the, my whole loving with him. But you can't argue against the job he's doing there. He, he's take them that points deduction away from him and look where they'd be. Yeah, he's he's galvanised the team, hasn't he? He's a backs to the wall kind of manager, and. I think that's that's massively galvanised them, hasn't it? I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone saw them going down, even with the points deduction with the the teams that are in the league and you know teams like Palace and Forest at times looking like they can free fall at any given moment. And obviously Brentford now with all their players missing will be in and amongst it as well. Um, but I think Sean Dyche has done a, a fantastic job because those those teams. Well, I mean, obviously, every team in the Premier League's got something to play for. But right now, Burnley are in dire straits. Chelsea, we saw how bad they were and how much the money they've spent. Newcastle are now out of the Champions League. They're beating all of those. And it was a difficult game for Tottenham uh, that they scraped through. And, and they really pushed Man City last night until the end. Um, and if Dominic Calvert-Lewin puts that chance away last night and makes it um, 2-1 to Everton, who knows what kind of form they'd be in. Um, you know, they'll have three more points or at least one more point, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a, a it'll be a tougher game than people realise. Um, or, or it'll be a tougher game than people want to admit it's going to be. Um, and we don't have a great record against them at home. I know we've kind of good as is ours over the last <laughs> last three, four years. Uh, but at home against them, we had when we two draws, and there's the 1 1 from last year and the 2 2 when we got promoted. In the middle, in the middle, but it's old. She had our number with Burnley, and it's it's kind of like this is the kind of game where we don't do that well in generally. We we already saw it the Forest game. It's got echoes of that for me. What do you think, Jafel? Have you got hope? I'm I'm I'm, I'm always hopeful. I'm I'm always a positive person when it comes to anything, but um, you. Know, you know what you're going to get with Sean Dice. He's a side who's going to be well organised, well drilled, and now he's been there. He's been at Everton long enough to get his own players in, get his own style, his own system. He's got rid of the players who he didn't really need. Ala Anthony Gordon. He didn't need a player like that. He has the system set up. He has the the blueprint of what he did well at Burnley. So why change it? You know, it's going to be a difficult game. It's going to be a really, really difficult game. And the thing is, it's a Molyneux. Molyneux is a bit of a fortress. Maybe we'll come through it. I hope so. I really do. Um, the way that we've been playing and, and the, the way that the system has been now set up, I can't see why not. I can see us getting getting something out of the game. Definitely a point. Yeah. Why not all three? Why not change the book? History has to change. It has to start somewhere. Why not start now? Yeah, I mean, if we can win in London, then we can win anywhere. Um, <laughs> but obviously, this game is the uh, the England job rehearsal dinner. Um, they're still with the as pointed out there, which you wouldn't put it past him. And now, uh, now, old fraud has been caught out in the northeast, isn't he? <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I mean, being serious though, he is. Oh, some breaking news. Sasha Kozi is very open to joining Eintracht Frankfurt on a six-month loan. Wants to play regular football. That's from, uh, I presume Dan's put that in the group. So there's one more club wants him as well. We'll see. But he's, his time looks numbered, as we uh, mentioned earlier. But yeah, Everton. Um, but you look at, again, that performance tonight. If we beat Everton, <laughs> top half, would anyone in their world, I mean, I had the bet, obviously, um, would anyone in their wildest dreams thought that we'd end this year in the top half of the table? It, are we getting too carried away? Because this league has got a lot of shit in it and we don't seem to be one of them now. Yeah, I think I think we just, we are better than the dross below us. And I think the dross below us are maybe worse than I thought they were going to be. Um, I was I was thinking we were going to get 38 points. I was happy with the point per game. Would have kept us up, maybe gotten 15th and we could have just wrote this season off. But where we are now, the philosophy that I, I genuinely would also written off Gary O'Neill. So the humble pie has been well and truly eaten. Um, you know, the, some pride has been swallowed there because I think game by game, even when we've not performed, he's sort of definitely changing the team as we've talked about. I, there's there's no reason why we can't push on to be comfortable mid-table, if not in that top 10, because let's not talk about VAR, but obviously we've been, we're a few points short of where we should be as well. Let's not forget. Yeah, we're not we're not talking about that thing anymore. No, no. vetoed. I'm not mentioning it on this show ever again. There's no point. Um, follow the Gary O'Neill way, and it has to be mentioned. Uh, and and we have kind of not talked about it enough. He's only been a, a manager for a year, <laughs> like one whole year. When you look at some of the other appointments, and you think, well. <laughs> Look at Heckingbottom and the mess that he left Sheffield United in. I know when I said earlier <laughs> this season, yeah, there's 19 better managers in the league than him. It's all about humble pie. I mean, we, we've washed ourselves with it and gorged on, on all sorts by now because to be getting the performances and results that he's getting, not only Bournemouth last year, but for this, this squad that's not even his, none of the players are his, <laughs> To improve players that he has done and to be in with the shit at the top half is superb for me. And even if Everton beat us on the Saturday, which is obviously going to be mixed emotions for me, um, if they do, it's been a brilliant, brilliant year. And <laughs> you end the year in and around mid-table when 90% of the media have written us off as a relegation candidate. So yeah, I don't think you can say better than that, can you, Jafar? No, and so uh, when when we talked about it, we had the gong on meter and it was all that a bit of a laugh and a joke about that sort of stuff. Like we said at the time, we even even though we we felt that maybe it was time and it was the wrong appointment at the time, we we always we also had thing that he was letting. Yeah, it's this football club on the eve of brand new season was. The one of the worst things anyone's ever done to this whole club that's up there, it, it, it's going to be three probably of all time worst things to do to a football club. So, to, to do where he is now and to be doing what he's doing, 
well done Gary because he deserve he deserves all the plaudits we said it now the coaching's good the way that everything's been set up he's a leader he don't take no bullshit he is he suffers no falls all these things have been said today and that's what he should, he is as a manager and that is Gary O'Neill in a soundbite really because he's what we needed we needed something fresh we needed a new approach we needed somebody who was going to take us forward and lead us away from mediocrity and that's where we were going we were going back to mediocrity we look like a fresh new exciting team in this league so good job keep it up let's keep going hopefully we can get top half i'd still be happy 10th to 12th something like that yeah i mean is it i know this is a mental thing to say but kind of you get where i'm coming from when you look at appointments over the last 10 years when Kenny Jackett was appointed after the shit that we'd gone through for the two years before that and the stability and what he managed to do with that squad. It's not a dissimilar job, really, for what Gary O'Neill's already done. And I think for absolutely fair play to him for coming out and saying that about himself in the uh, in that Sky interview last night uh, where he said he wouldn't have been inspired by himself being the manager as well um, of his club, which at least he's got, he's not, up himself, he's not arrogant, he knows what he is and he knows where he's coming from and the fact that to go from that Ipswich night where everyone was on his back, everyone um, to the Monday night football thing and then that performance and result last night I don't think anyone's seen a, perform- a turnaround like that, not at Wolves anyway No I'm, I've, I have been over the last few months racking my brains thinking back to the mid-90s and everyone since we've had some managers that have had awful starts and remained awful. Colin Lee, Mark McGee, you know, you name it. We've had managers that have come in, started badly and carried on being bad. But um, he's. I think I think you can tell that the players took time to buy into him and they are now. And I don't think that's a bad thing either. because I think it's it's been well earned rather than sort of a big name coming in like Lopetegui with his rock star reputation. It's it's been earned, which is what Bruno couldn't do, right? Bruno came in with all of his ideas, and the players didn't buy in, and we we had to appoint a Conte Lopetegui type manager to get us out of a hole, and now we seem to have a philosophy and a manager with a philosophy that's getting the buy-in from the players, and you see that in the interviews. I mean, they're all behind him, and they don't need to be. They could easily throw him under the bus. They could easily throw the towel in like a lot of Man United players have been accused of doing this season. But not one of them has. And any that have, he's got rid of or he's getting rid of. Yeah, very well said. I mean, there's a comment here in the, you have to ask, is Bournemouth wondering about their leadership decisions after seeing what O'Neill is doing here? I think Bournemouth at the start of the season were probably doing that. Um, but in a similar way, Ariel is probably better, a better fit for them than Gary O'Neill was. But he wouldn't have been a better fit for us than Gary O'Neill is. Um, I think if we had appointed someone like that, he would have gone completely tits up. Um, like Jafel said, he's the right right man at the right time. And both, both clubs have benefited from him. So there we are. Saying nice things about Bournemouth is obviously not weird, but there we are. Um, if we quickly have a look at the, <laughs> the league table there. I mean, if we come out of them three games this week with nine points. I mean, it's dreamland. We've already said 
where can we be? I mean, the ten point buffer to the bottom three. No one's no one's thinking about relegation now, are they? If they even were at all. So we'll go with predictions. The part everyone loves to do. Um, the look on your face said you can go first. Wolves v Everton. I'm going to say two 0 Wolves. Excellent, Jafo. Uh, I'm going to go scrappy two one. I'd take that. <laughs> I'd take that. I'd take that all day long. I mean, I I had two nil in my head as well. Funny enough, um, yeah. I I think the fact that we've got to, we've got this far into it and the, we're confident of an Everton win despite knowing who it is and what it's about. Pretty impressive, really. But yeah. So I, I I was going to say we'll we'll be back later in the week, but I, we're not. <laughs> we'll be back next year. Um, that's why we're doing this now. So. We've smashed Brentford, we beat Chelsea, Everton next. Thanks to Audi. Um, I should have said that at the start, but there we are. Um, thanks to Audi and the Boston Coffee Company for the continued support. And all of you lot for listening to this this madness for the entire year or watching, which is even more mental, really, if you want to watch us um, on YouTube. <laughs> it still amazes me. I mean, I, I haven't been spotted for a long time. But Ed, when, you get it, when it happens to you, you know that you've made well, it. Well, I, I had my own moment when I met I met um, Matt from not only this podcast, but obviously cage fighting on the way um, on the way back from the match. Um, and I was like, that's Matt from the fan cast. <laughs> Jiffo was like that with me, though. He, he was he didn't even speak. <laughs> no, but I, then I, I was like, soul. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was like that with um, with Dave back yonder as well. So. We're all starstruck, but if you want to talk to us, talk to us. We're all normal, sensible people. And New Year's Eve is obviously a pain in the arse. If anyone wants to talk to us, like Matt always says, DMs are always open. You know where we are. But for tonight and for this year, we'll see you in 2024. So for me, goodbye, Ed. See you later, guys. And your foe from South Carolina. See ya. <laughs> what? No, we're not, we're not going on. We're not going at 2023 on some kind of. <laughs> Trans-American like nonsense. Transatlantic <laughs> black country. Do it properly. See you later, Bab. Yeah, see you later, me, Babies. Come on. <laughs> sure. Are.